Well, good morning. How's everyone? Okay, Michael, come up here. Come on. Come on up. Yeah, he, 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 gave, me a, he gave me a shout out last, last Sunday. I heard it. I listened to it. Just come on up here, bro. Okay, Michael, say my last name. Hudson Pillar. That's pretty good. Okay, you're dismissed. <laughs> I have, hey, but I'm consistent. I have messed up your name ever since I've known you. My apologies, Michael. You shall always be Michael K. to me. Um, you know, the family of God is really a fun place, and it really is when you begin to kind of walk in the idea that we're connected. If you just accept that, with all of our quirks and all of the weird stuff we do and all of our failings and shortcomings, we are connected. And you're not just connected here because you're in church. You're connected in the spiritual realm, and you're connected for eternity if you know Christ. Now, think about that. You can say, I choose not to be connected to you right now. That's fine. You're still connected. Well, I don't like you. That's fine. You're still connected. Well, I'm going to move as far as, yeah, you can, but you're going to get into heaven where there is no time and space, so there is no distance between anybody and eternity. Have you ever thought about that? There is no distance. Well, how does that work? I don't know. I just know what the Scripture says. There's no distance. There's no separation between heaven and earth in eternity. That's what Scripture says. Because there is no space and time. Now, this is not the message. This is just kind of warming us up. Because they got done early and I got plenty of time. I want you to think about this idea of conductor. Now, I don't want you to think in terms of an orchestra or of a train conductor. I want you to think in terms of a material that conducts something like copper wire conducts electricity. And if you want to stop the connectivity, you put an insulator in it. And an insulator would be something like glass or stone. And so it would stop the flow from one to another. Today I want to talk to you about being a conductor. Do you realize that you are designed by God in every way and you lack nothing to, con to be a conductor of the atmosphere of heaven to earth? That is not optional. That is your assignment. You are made in the image of God so that you conduct the image, the true image, to other people through your life. But what happens is things get in our life and they become insulators to that conductivity that we're supposed to have. Things like anger and stress and fear, jealousy, all of those things are not conductors of heaven, they're conductors of earth, of the natural world. And we know that we weren't designed for that. All you have to do is just be there for a little while and know this is not how it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be stressed. I'm not supposed to be fearful. I'm not supposed to be angry. You know that. We all know that. We just don't know how to get out of it sometimes. But that's, that's the reality that God shows us and says, but I want you not to conduct the atmosphere of earth. I want you to conduct the atmosphere of heaven. So let me give you a definition of connectivity. It is the capacity of transmitting something. For us, it's going to be the atmosphere of heaven. We are conductors for his presence. People won't know his presence without someone to introduce his presence to them. 
We do that with our life. As we begin to operate, we begin to realize that we also can become a conductor of fear. Walk into the room where everyone's fearful and you become fearful. Walk into a room where everyone's happy, you become happy. Because we conduct and we transmit those things to other people. And yet when we become a conductor of fear, we become an insulator of his presence. We instantly stop the the reality and the awareness of the presence in someone's life by fear and anger and stress and self-pity and jealousy and all all those ugly, toxic words that we all have experienced in our life that we know aren't right. But you see, our default mode that God put into us is is a default mode of love. That's how God designed us. Whenever we don't operate in that, it feels like we don't, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. You see, our brains are shaped by our reactions. And this is not just a nice thought. This is scientifically proven. They talk about the neuroplasticity of the mind. And what that means is, of the brain, that means that your mind can literally shape your brain. And when you begin to think toxic thoughts, what happens to your brain is it responds and says, oh, this is what you want, and so it begins to amplify and multiply all that stuff in your life, and so you become more and more toxic, not less toxic. And never content to make one to be toxic by yourself, you want others to experience the same level of toxicity that you have. Have you ever noticed that? No one's ever content to be toxic. I need a team. See, science and Scripture both show us that we were wired for love and optimism. When, you're, when you feel love, doesn't it feel different? Doesn't it feel good? They just love me and accept me, and even though I'm, you know, goofed up or messed up, they love me. God says that's the way it's supposed to be because that's how heaven is. Let me show you a, a couple of things on the board. Sometimes these are helpful if you take a picture of them and, uh, or write them down. But your mind controls your emotions. So what you do is you think in your mind something, and and all of a sudden it creates a a reaction, and it's going to be a reaction of one, two. In fact, they're one of two things. They're, They're foundational things. Every single emotion will come out of these two things, love or fear. I could sit down with you, and you could tell me about some emotion, and I, could, I would place it in one of these very easily. It wouldn't be hard to do. And, it, and if you really look at it, this is the atmosphere of heaven. It's love. God is love, right? God manifests himself in the person of Jesus Christ to us so that we could understand love, the love of the Father. We could experience it, be drawn into it, and be changed by it, and then be a, a, a conductor of that to someone else. But over here, in fear, it's, the atmosphere, it's an atmosphere also, but it's the atmosphere of hell. Because that's what hell's like. That's what it means to be separated from God. It means to live perpetually in anger and jealousy and separation and self-pity and stress, and all those other things. And haven't you ever heard people say when they're going through a tough time, that I feel like I'm living in hell, right? You, we've heard that, right? And we know what they mean because we've lived there too. No one in this room has, can say, you know, I am free from that. If you're like super spiritual and you don't, can't admit that, then your first step is admitting it. 
They're just days that aren't fun. But you want to get out of them and not stay in them. How about this? People say, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances. Well, get out from underneath them. Don't stay there. Get out. There's a better life than that. And so when we begin to take a look at this, we begin to understand. Now, let me show you some scriptures that are going to be really powerful. First one, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Look what it says. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now, what you notice here is a couple of things. God is not responsible for your fear. The second thing you notice is that fear is a spirit. And it's a spirit from hell. Over here, you have the Holy Spirit, who's a spirit of love. So we see here, if we say that scripture one more time. So God is not given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So when I operate in fear, I don't have power, I don't have love, and my mind isn't working right. Have you ever talked to somebody, they're just so angry, and they, they don't... You know they're not making sense. You tell them they're not making sense, but they lack the ability to reason because they're, they're being influenced by a spirit of fear. And you say everything and do everything you can, but they just can't see what they're trapped in because they're trapped in that spirit. So God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Now let's take you another one. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. There is no fear in, say it with me, Love. When you are living in the fullness of the love of God, you don't experience fear. Now, that doesn't mean your life's always going well. It doesn't mean you're free from problems. It just means that you're freed from fear because you're living in the love of Almighty God. And it says, but perfect love, now look, watch this, perfect love, that's Jesus, casts out all fear. So what we do know is that fear has to be cast out of our life. And the only thing that will do it is love. So I can't get fear out of my life by just blowing up in someone's face. I can't get fear and all of its manifestations, that means anger, stress, you know, all that other ugly kind of toxic things we talk about. I can't get it out of my life by just giving enough time. Because what it does is it just goes underground. What I have to do is I have to let the presence of God, the love of God, push all the stuff out of my life so I can go back to my default mode of walking with God. So let me put it another way. Another illustration. We're going to call this the love zone, which sounds like something that came out of the 70s. All right, the love zone. All right, can you say that with me? The love zone. Okay, a little corny, I know, but I think it will make sense. So that's our default mode. We're supposed to live in the love zone. But what happens is we will venture out of the love zone because of circumstances in our life, and we will find ourselves in the discomfort zone. And we know it's not where we're supposed to be, and we don't like it. It doesn't feel good, but, you know, we just kind of go, yeah, but I'm really mad. Anybody, anybody here ever been mad and didn't want to get over it? I mean, I'm going to be the first one to admit it. That way someone else can come true. And Keep your hands up. I want to show you all the people that never just instantly get over it, right? No, you get in and you go, no, I'm not ready to what? Get over my anger. I'm mad and I want you to know it and I'm going to punish you with it. Who gets punished? 
Not, not you. You just sit back and go, you want to be mad? I don't care. That's your deal, not my deal. All you do is you punish you because you're living in a spirit of fear. Its manifestation is anger, and you're outside of your default mode, so you're living in your discomfort zone. Now, I really think when I, when I drew this diagram, I, I saw it more like this, where that there was ways also where when we open these doors up for the discomfort zone, we start to live in there, all of a sudden we have this entrance of, of bad stuff that comes into our life. And then there's another zone out here, and I'll call it the fear zone. And the fear zone is when I travel outside of my discomfort zone, and now I operate full fear. So I get, it's like a safety valve. God says you get this far, and it doesn't feel right, right? So go back. But what happens is I go, I get to this edge of my discomfort zone and go, That's, I'm not satisfied with that. I'm going to go even deeper into this, and now I find myself trapped in this, really this atmosphere of hell. It's really what it is. And I don't like it, and I want out of it, but I don't know how to get out of it. And today, I really believe this is one of the most important messages that I've ever preached in this church. I really, really do. And, and I don't, you know I don't say that very often. Um, and I think it's because it's so practical. When you, when, once you see this come together, I think you're going to go, wow, that really helped me. And that's kind of the goal, amen? It's, not, it's just to go, I walked out of there understanding, grasping, being revealed something that's going to really help me in my life. And that's what we want to do today is we really want to help you with that. Um, as you begin to think about this, this truth is that fear and pressure affects every one of us. There's no one here that doesn't have fear and pressure. You might deny it. Some of you may have more than others, but we have fear and pressure in our life. Whether it's something that comes because of medical report or something that comes because of finances or relational, we have fear and pressure in our life. Let's just get it on the table. We all have fear and pressure in our life. You say, well, mine's worse than everybody else's. Okay, we're going to give you that for today, all right? But trust me, we all have it, and it doesn't matter how, how bad it feels on you. It feels just as bad on somebody else when they're living in fear and pressure as well. So I came across this story in 1 Samuel chapter 19, and it's such an amazing story. Let me set it up this way. There's a king in Israel. His name is Saul, and Saul was disobedient to God. He was so disobedient to God that it says God sent an evil spirit upon Saul, all right, spirit of fear. God sent it to Saul because, you know what, he didn't want Saul to stay there. He wanted Saul to get out of there. Did you ever think that when the spirit of fear comes upon you, it might be given by God to get you out of that stuff and get you back into your default mode of love? God likes you to be uncomfortable when you're disobedient. That's how he loves you. He goes, it feels bad, doesn't it? He goes, yes, God, take the pain away. No, I'm not taking the pain away. Get back to where you're supposed to be. The point of departure is the point of return. Where did you depart from the Lord? Go back there. That's the same point of return. So here's the story. So now, so Saul, he's so upset. He decides that David is this new and upcoming king. He's killed Goliath. He's, a, he's basically a hero in all of the land of Israel. You know those people. They're like popular. Like, I don't like you. What do you do wrong? Nothing. He's just popular. So David's popular, right? 
And so Saul is so mad, he discerns he's going to kill David. Because out of fear comes hate, and out of hate comes murder. You see that? These two foundational pieces, if you remember, every emotion I have is either love or fear. Every one of them. So now, so what David does, he decides, or Saul does, he decides, I'm going to send some assassins in to kill David. So now we pick up the story. 1 Samuel 19, verse 18. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel. So he knows he's getting ready to get killed by, by Saul's assassin. So he runs, he hides at Ramah, and he told all that Saul had done to him, and he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. Now, Naoth is an interesting word because it means dwelling place. And if you study it in Scripture, you're going to notice that in this passage we have, it's used about five different times. You see, God wanted you to know that Naoth is an important thing because it means a dwelling place. For, for David to get over his fear of being killed by Saul, he had to go into the dwelling place of God. Are you with me on this? He couldn't stay where he was. He had to go into the place where God wanted him to be, where he would experience life. You see, obedience releases the atmosphere of heaven. When you're obedient to God, God says, I'm going to give you a little atmosphere of heaven. doesn't matter how small it is. God says, I'm going to give you some heaven. A little obedience here, a little bit of heaven. A little obedience here, a little bit of heaven. I'm going to keep blessing you with that because I'm going to encourage you, as a good father would encourage, when you do what's good, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to honor you, and I'm, as you honor me, I'm going to honor you. And see, and God honors a process. Do you realize everything in life that you have on planet Earth is a process? You plant something, it's a process. You might plant it and you expect it to grow that day, but it won't. You plant an acorn, you get an oak tree. You pull the acorns off the tree. I don't know why they're not called oak nuts, but anyway, they are. They're called acorns. And you plant them, and you wait 40 years, and you get an oak tree. It's a process. Do you realize that coming maturity in Christ is a process? Nobody's instantly mature, and you're not mature because you've been a Christian a long time. You're mature because you've lived in your default mode long enough to understand how to overcome the stuff in your life that's not helpful. You learn how to trust in the power of God so that it's not about you, it's about him. And so God keeps you on that path of process. Do you realize anger is a process? You get, you get offended. Your mind begins to build up all this stuff in your mind of what's wrong and how you're done unfair. Hey, who has not felt like they've been treated unfair? Would you please raise your hand? You've not been treated fair, or you've been treated fair? It was a confusing question, wasn't it? All right, let's, let's just forget that question. We'll move on to another one. But God honors process. Always in life, he honors process. But you've got to see the potential in the moment. You see something come in your life, and you go, that's really cool, or God spoke to me. It might be in this service, and God will speak to you through uh, maybe the worship, maybe the announcements, maybe a video, maybe my message, or, or just someone you encounter, and you go, that was really neat. And you'll miss the moment. God created that moment to start a process. He gave you some inspiration in that moment to start a process. And sometimes you just have to write down, gosh, what happened there? And how did all these pieces connect? And what does this mean for me in my life? Instead of just going, oh, that's a cool opportunity. That's not the way you need to think. You need to think like, this is something, a divine moment that God has put in my life. 
You see, the right atmosphere is transformational. When you walk in the right atmosphere, it transforms your life. You can walk into one crowd of people and they're, they have no interest in you. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to be a part of your life. They don't want you to be a part of their life. And instantly, you know it's transformational. You go, I don't want to go back to that group. I hate that. That's not fun. That didn't feel right, right? Then you can walk into another group and you go instantly transforming. You go like, wow, I feel so much love, so much acceptance. You see, church is supposed to be a place of his presence, When you walk in here, what you want to encounter first is not people or music or message, but him. So you walk in the presence and go, I don't know, I just feel good about the presence. There's a a bunch of nerdy people here, and the music was great, and the sermon was okay, but I don't know, I I am attracted to the presence of God because it pushes me back into my default mode of love. And in this world here that I live now, in this love zone, now all of a sudden I can thrive as God wanted me to thrive. Now let's go on with the story. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 19. Now it was told Saul, saying, take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah, and then Saul sent messengers to take David. So he sends in assassins. He goes, I'm going to take David out completely. You ever done that? You didn't have the guts to say something to somebody's face, so you told somebody else to go tell them to say something to their face? It's not a good strategy, by the way. It always backfires. Always backfires. Sends assassins in. So these assassins go in. They've got one thing in mind. They're living in the atmosphere of hell, and they say, we're going to kill David, and the king is going to bless us and honor us. But look what happens. I love the Bible. Look what happens here. Then they sent Saul's messengers to take David, and when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they prophesied. What happened? These assassins, these murderers, they came in, and they go, we're going to go kill him. We walk in here. Bam, they're hit by the atmosphere of heaven, and they start prophesying and preaching and speaking of the God of the Bible. These are bad assassins. You're going to hire an assassin. You don't want these guys. Because they got in the atmosphere of God, and they just all of a sudden were changed. Now, look what else happens. I love the story. When Saul was told, the, uh, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. So group two of assassins go in. They go in there, bam, they start prophesying. More bad assassins. Saul, he doesn't get it yet. Then Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they prophesied also. Messed up assassins. What's Saul going to do? He's going to do what he should have done in the first place because God's intent was to get him in the presence. Did you hear me? That, that's really good now. Isn't that, it's pretty simple, but it's really good. God's intent was to get Saul into the presence, the dwelling place of God, so Saul could be transformed, but he tried to do it some other way by sending in three different group of assassins to kill the problem. You can't kill the problem. Only God can kill the problem. Only God can take care and bring you the solution. And if you get in a hurry and say, I don't care about the process, I'm going to take this in my own hands, you're just going to create a bigger problem. I think that's why so many people have big problems. They just keep creating them. I am not content with my small problem. I shall create a big problem. Right? Have you ever looked back and go, if I just would have kept my mouth shut? Anybody ever had that? I mean, I'm like the guy with the foot-shaped mouth. I do that all the time. 
I won't give any more comment on that. If you want to know the details, you talk to my wife. She'll reaffirm everything I'm saying here about my big mouth. But anyway, but now watch what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 19. Then he also went to Ramah. Finally, he's going to go in. He came and he asked, uh, came to the great well that is in Sukkur, and so he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? Where's the prophet? Where's the would-be king? I assume he's attending to kill them both. Someone said, indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah, so he went there to Naoth, that is the dwelling place in Ramah. Watch what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 23. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. He went on and he prophesied until he came to the place of Naoth, the dwelling place in Ramah. Look what's happened here. When your life, when you operate in an atmosphere of heaven, the people that meant evil for you will be transformed. You can transform it. You don't have to convince them or argue with them. You don't have to prove you're right. For, quit trying to prove you're right. Who cares who's right? You can be right, dead right. That's not the, the, the important thing. The important thing is, am I living in my default mode of love in the presence of God? Because then I can transform people around me. Then I can enjoy my life as well. You see, fear, anger, and jealousy cannot exist in his presence. They exist really well in the atmosphere of hell. They do not exist in the atmosphere of heaven. You're a conductor. You're supposed to bring heaven to earth as an image bearer of Almighty God. You are the revealer of that stuff. The presence of God is geographical. God is present everywhere all the time, but there are times when his presence is known and felt and sensed in a greater way. I believe this, this church here hosts the presence of God, not because we did anything right, because God just said, I want you to host the presence of God. And people that come in this place and go, what is that? And they go, what do you mean? They go, well, what, I, what, I feel, what do I feel here? And it's the presence of God. Not because of me or you. It's just God just said, I'm going to do that, and would you host it well? Would you host it well? The presence is irresistible. These poor assassins, they, they were done before they got in the game. When someone encounters you and and they really encounter the presence of God, it's hard to resist you because it's the presence they're resisting. It's like kicking a puppy, right? Who'd kick a puppy? You kick a puppy, you go to hell. That's my theory. It's the same idea of the presence. How do you resist the presence of God? I can resist religion. I can resist all that stuff. I can't resist this presence. I come to the presence of God in someone's life and I go, wow, I just want to shut up and just get some of that on me. Amen? I just want that on me. I don't know how they got it, but I want to get it. I want to stay close to them because I know I can also get the other stuff on me. I can get this on me really quick. I can get around people that live in this world, and it jumps on me too. Then I'm kind of angry, and I'm kind of jealous, and I'm kind of stressed out, and I'm kind of all that stuff, and I don't like that. I want to get out of there. Amen? I want to get over here. God, I want to get over here in the atmosphere of heaven. Now watch this. This is where it really kind of gets fun. I'm going to shift from Samuel to the book of Genesis, okay? You can be a conductor of the atmosphere of heaven. Genesis 28, look at this passage. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. Now, you remember I said his presence can be geographical? Okay, so he said, he awoke from his sleep and he said, wait a minute, there's something different about this place now from, from what it was earlier. 
The presence of the Lord is in this place. I did not know it, meaning I did not know it before, but I know it now. Something changed in Jacob that allowed him to understand and relate to and then become a conductor of the atmosphere of heaven. So let's read on. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. The place that wasn't awesome became awesome. The place where he didn't know the presence now became the presence. This is none other than the house of God. That's the word Bethel. Bethel is the, Beth is the Hebrew word for, for house, and El is the, is the name for God. So Bethel, the house of God. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. Now, I want you to see what's happening here. A common place became a special place. Any place can be a special place when you live in the atmosphere of heaven. When you live in the atmosphere of earth, no place seems special, and you can disregard any place. Because all you're really trying to do is get your place in life. But when you die to self and you realize that, wait a minute, this is not about me, this is about him, let me move into my default mode of love in the atmosphere of heaven, and I become literally the house of God. You realize that you are the house of God? This building is a building that houses many houses of God. You're a walking, moving house of God, the temple of the living God. That's you. You are the temple of God, Scripture says, because the Holy Spirit lives in you. You're the house of God. Now, the question is, are you the gate of heaven? You know what a gate is? A gate is something, it's a barrier that allows you to go from one reality to another reality. So you drive up in front of somebody's house, and they have a fence around their house, and then they have a gate. And your reality is the sidewalk. You open the gate, and you go into a new reality called the front yard. New reality, I went through the gate. You walk up the steps, you go to the front door, you knock on the gate called the door, and they say, come in, and you go into a new reality called the reality of their house, their living room. You see, but the gate has to be open for you to experience a new reality. The presence has to be in you to release the presence, the atmosphere of heaven. So what happens is you already are the house of God if you know Jesus. The question is, when you open the gate, what are you conducting? The atmosphere of heaven or the atmosphere of hell? What comes out of your mouth, what comes out of your heart in those moments when you find yourself there? Let me give you another scripture, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. This, refers, this verse refers to Christ as the son over his house, whose house, notice what it says, we are. So he just said it. You're the house of God. I'm the house of God. You're the house of God. I need to respect you because you're the house of God. I need to honor you because you're the house of God. You realize that everybody on planet Earth can be honored for at least two of the three main things that we honor people for in the Scriptures. Made in the image of God. We honor everyone on planet Earth because they're made in the image of God. We honor everybody on planet Earth because they all have gifts given from the Father. And the third main thing is we honor the presence. You see, everybody in this room has two of the three things that we are supposed to honor you for and never disregard you. And when you add the third one on there, then you become the gate of heaven that opens up the right stuff to the right people that you encounter every day of your life. You are the house of God. Here's what I want you to say. I am the house of God.
I am the gate of God. I am the gate of heaven. When you begin to realize that that's really who you are and that you're a conductor to everyone you meet, am I conducting flowing through me is heaven or is it hell? We kind of want to create a middle ground, right? Now I'm kind of a purgatory kind of a guy. You know, not really heaven, not really hell, coming in and come between. But see, the Bible doesn't recognize that. Out of my life either comes blessing or cursing, the Scripture says in James. Well, I would never curse anyone. You would by negativity, by stress, by anger, by jealousy, by self-pity, and all those other things. But you don't have to. Flip back into the default mode of love. Live in that love zone. Amen? So as I was, uh, as I was getting ready for this message this morning, I... I just sat down and I just, I wrote a prophetic blessing. And I, I like, I never know when these are going to come. I never kind of plan them. I just kind of feel like led to write them. And today I, I did. And I have one that I want to share with you and it'll be on the screen. But here's what I want to ask you to do. I, I, want, I want you to just ask yourself an honest question. Am I releasing the atmosphere of heaven? Or am I releasing the atmosphere of hell? Now if hell sounds too strong for you, and just use the word earth. Am I more earthly than I am heavenly? Am I less loving than I am loving? Get it down to where you can live with it and then go and then be honest enough to go, I'm either over here or I'm over here. And if you're over here, meaning more earthly, then say, I don't want to be there. I want to get over here where I belong and I want to learn to live there. Because remember, we've all, all admitted, everybody here admitted that, that we can have the characteristics of stress and problems and anger. We can live there. We're human. Amen? We're not going to get away from that one. But if we get this infusion of, of heaven in us and then we become the gate, then people walk up and say, I want to hang out with you. What's, what's so special about you? You go, just God. Just God. Live in a God consciousness, guess what? Even as obnoxious as you can be and I can be, it kind of gets transformed. Wait, I'm living in God consciousness, so I better not say that. Now, you know, by nature, I'm like sarcastic. Anybody relate to that one? My wife will say, You know, you just need to hold that back. I go, Damn, you have no idea what I'm holding back. Why don't we move into a new realm? I want to ask you to stand with me. By the way, can I just say this, that church is not supposed to be comfortable all the time. It's supposed to be beneficial. Is that okay? I mean, you know, if you, if you find a church that just like, I feel good every time I go there, then you need to run. Because that means you're not changing. Amen? All right, let's put this up here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to say this with me. If you'd like to come forward here and just kind of hang around the front, this is kind of a fun fellowship time. Just come on up here, and we'll say this together. Sometimes it, it just kind of is the next step of faith. That God, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to get involved in this thing. Just part of my life. So people ask me all the time, say, well, can I get a copy of that? And I said, yeah, just take a picture. It'll be on the screen. Just snap a quick picture. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to publish a book with all these in it and then write some copy with it. But let's look at this uh, up on the screen here. I want you just to just kind of look at it. 
you would have sang. And that's the totality of it. It's pretty quick. What if you took something like that and, and you just rehearsed that every day? Had it on your phone. You said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to reject the spirit of fear. I will no longer be ruled by my toxic emotions. I was created by God to enjoy life and be a conductor of his presence on earth. Today is a new day of understanding life and power in Jesus' name. What if that was just your rehearsal every day? You think a day might be a little better? Right? All right, so let's say this together. And let's say it in, in the faith act that I want to move into my default mode. I want to be a, a conductor of the atmosphere of heaven. Right? I reject the spirit of fear. I will no longer be ruled by my toxic emotions. I was created by God to enjoy life and be a conductor of His presence on earth. This is a new day of understanding life and power in Jesus' name. Do you accept it? Do you receive it?